10 years ago this year i went to the oscars you did i sat in like literally the nosebleeds the very very back seat um i used to work for this online magazine called indie wire yeah and they had a deal where every year two staff members could get tickets so i waited my turn and i got my turn and you knifed every other staff member yeah they were all dead I'm Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer people make a promise to dance like no one's watching, except for the algorithm. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made me queer. And here we are in 2023. I'll tell you, I'm recording this slightly before uh, 2022 has ended. Did something horrible happen? Was there like a, a delayed Y2K crash? Are we all back to sticks and rocks? What a gift that would be. We're, we're so bad with the tools we've been given. Maybe we just need a hard reset. Anyway, this is strangely the start of the year, but the end of season three at You Made Me Queer, that's just one of the ways we remain counterculture and we break rules. Uh, because uh, you can't tell me when to end a season. You can't. You might tell me it's a bad career move to end a season here. You might tell me it's, from a marketing communications perspective, very confusing. And I would tell you, get Ben. That's fine with me. So here we are, the final episode of season three. And we're going to go straight in because I don't want to start the year with you being tired of me this soon. You can get tired of me gradually, like my family did, and most of my friends. My guest today on this big season finale episode is Peter Kinnett. You might be confused, but his name has more G's in that. That's right. I asked Peter, how do you pronounce your name? Peter taught me. It's Dutch. Kinnett. Peter is wonderful. Everyone who has even uh, typed the word queer into their computer or their smartphone at any point has received a notification that Peter Kinnett exists. He's just everywhere. He just has his finger in every queer media pie. And I mean that in every way. Uh, And he was such a pleasure to talk to. I've been a big fan of Peter's for a long time. And I assume you already are. And if you're not, you're an idiot, basically. You're an idiot. So let's learn more about Peter from his very stacked bio on his website. I'm just going to graze through like the sort of fairground pony that I am and just hit some of the big rings on the way. Are you ready? Peter Knett is a writer, filmmaker, and arts curator with occasional forays into acting and stand-up comedy. Okay, he began his career as a film journalist. You may have read one of his many beautiful pieces for outlets such as Variety, Salon, Extra, Film Quarterly, and most notably IndieWire. He profiled folks like Cronenberg, Snoop Dogg, 2Gs, 2Os as well, Xavier Dolan, Michael Fassbender, Tom Ford, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Peter without Madonna, Peter Get Out, Winona Ryder, 
pre-Stranger Things, probably, I would assume, and our personal Lord and Savior, Tilda Swinton. In 2011, he co-founded Picton Picture Fest, a film festival, and Cinephile Retreat. Oh, oh, that's so delicious. Peter does a lot of work in film. He is also a filmmaker. He's a film reviewer. He is uh, always a writer. Back to the bio. His first book, A Historical Account of Canadian LGBTQ Communities, I could have done with the plus, Peter, was released in September 2011 through Fernwood Publishing and continues to show up in curriculum across Canada. He also was a cover boy for Extra. God knows we love Extra. Back when it was a print edition. I could go on and on about Peter. Let's get through. He was in Travis Matthews 2012, I Want Your Love. Did anyone see that? I have a very funny story about seeing I Want Your Love in a theater, which I saw in Paris, and then really embarrassed myself by immediately after asking one of the ticket takers out on a date Remind me about that. I'll tell you that story sometime. It is truly embarrassing. Uh, it involved me at one point. And you know what? I'm going to save it. Just remind me later. It's great. Back to Peter. In 2014, Kinnett began writing, directing, and acting in a series of his own short films. There are many short films because Peter is a prolific auteur. Uh, you may know Peter most notably because in 2016, he began working with wonderful CBC and has done so much for them, spearheading many series, including The Filmmakers, Canada's a Drake, Super Queeros, and co-hosting the talk show State of the Arts. He also writes the beloved CBC Arts column Queries, which won a digital publishing award for Best Column in Canada. Come on, Peter, slow down. He also launched in 2022, my year now, your last year when you're listening. Do you love how time works? He launched this series called Queer Cinema Club at Toronto's Paradise Theatre. I have been a patron of this event. It's absolutely fantastic. Peter does all of this because he can and he can do it so well and we need him to keep doing it uh, because what the hell else are we going to do with our time? Start a podcast? Spoiler, it's not worth it. Anyway, God bless you all. Here we are at the sweet old finale of season three. Thank you so much for staying with me this long, but don't go yet. Don't go yet. Stay tuned for one hour more with the lyrical subject of Mariah Carey's fantasy, the sweet, sweet Peter Kinnett. You made me queer. I can't believe I didn't start recording when Peter Kinnett said, in order to say my name, you have to have a very specific Dutch tongue. Please elaborate. Yeah, I just, you have to like have this ugh thing that you do yeah. that I just can't do. So it's like Peter Knecht is kind of, but it sounds <laughs> horrible coming from me and it sounds like I'm doing it wrong. You just have to sort of have a Dutch accent, I think, to really pull it off. And I don't have one. The way you say it sounds like a hate crime. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little aggressive. Uh, I can't roll my R's if it's any consolation. Well, we all have. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're all coming from the place where we're at. And and that's okay. But fortunately, my name doesn't have any rolled R's anywhere. Good. That would have really been unfortunate for you. <laughs> that would have been a constant humiliation for me. So are you Dutch by origin, Peter Kinnett? Yes. Uh, all four of my grandparents were born in Rotterdam and immigrated here at various points in like the 50s and 60s. Ooh. Yes. On like a big steamship? Uh my, on my mother's side, I know it was a big steamship, and I know that whole story. My father's side, this story is much more vague, and I don't know how they got here, but uh, I'm guessing it must have been a ship. I don't think they had the 
the means to fly. Yeah. A commercial airline would be very expensive at that time, I would think. I would think, yeah. Um, so I'm guessing, yes, all ships. I can <laughs> confirm on one end a ship for sure in like 19... 19- 52 or something like that. Well, maybe it was like a, how do you say, dirigible? Like a Zeppelin or something? Maybe. I don't know. Listen, next, okay, noted. We'll focus on you today. My next guest is going to be one of your grandparents who I hope is still alive or this is about to get very awkward. Uh, No, uh, three of them are alive. Okay. Um, One is nice. The other two, you don't want on here. I I don't really talk to the other two. But the one that is alive, she's turning... 98 in 2023 um and her name is yanicha but people call her janet in english and she's a a very spry wonderful lady who i I talk to on the phone every sunday ah bless her and uh, you know i'll i'll come to her however she wants me to say her name i'll do it i'm also assuming she's lesbian or queer in some capacity uh, no, uh she, she would be if she ever heard us having this discussion she she's come a long way yeah. um but she's like pretty she's pretty religious um in like this dutch christian reformed church but she yep. uh asked me how my friend is still like that kind of stuff but like <laughs> she was born in 1925 like i feel like i just have to give her a pass oh boy yeah i feel like there's a certain it's like me with like um I was going to say TikTok, but I feel like I slightly understand TikTok, but certain things like me with Portia's outfits in White Lotus season two. I'm like, I'm not supposed to get this. No, but at least that's like still an educated way of going about it. There's some people who just hated it. <laughs> that's true. You have to understand that we don't get it because we're not 23. True. And apparently, according to a 23 year old I talked to, this is how the 23 year olds dress. It's very strange to me, though. It's very confusing. No, it's like it's like the costume and set deck for a D-Light video for like Groove is in the Heart or something um, is like not that costume. That's too weird. And that ended up in the pile that Porsche wore for White Lotus season two. Yeah. And it's also every time I walk into Urban Outfitters when I'm like, maybe I'll find something I like. And then I it's just like a weird 90s rave. Yeah, and like they shot that show, I just found out for like six months. So, she, and she's only wearing like at one point she's wearing the same outfit for several days because right. of sort of the, the events of the show. And Haley Lou Richardson, she yeah. must have been wearing that outfit for like literally months. Every day she had to get up and put that on. Oh my god, that you must feel insane. And the number that they would have had to buy, like just bulk orders of those stretch raver pants. Yeah, yeah. And who gets them after? I mean, maybe if I was her, I'd want to take it home. Totally. And just have it in a box somewhere just to commemorate that experience. I don't know. But that's, I'm weird about stuff like that. No, I think that's an appropriate response. Also, I would like if she had, like if she has 20 sets of those outfits, maybe she's the girl who's like, this is what I wear. That's just her. Every day, like, you know, she only has to wash every once a month or something. Yeah, no. I mean, maybe it'll be hanging in a, in a museum somewhere someday. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> like, could share of the 2020s, yeah. Good for her. <laughs> along with, uh, and we're certainly not going to spoil anything, but along with Jennifer Coolidge's um, transparent, chunky plastic heels. Yeah, I mean, those definitely belong somewhere. And I, I think at this point, I feel like people were just spoiling it full on the next day. It was just basically, if you didn't watch it on Sunday, sorry. Like, you're, you, that's it. This is like R who shot JR. Like, if you didn't watch right, it yeah. that night, it, sorry. Like, either don't go on the internet or don't expect anything from anyone. Is that because I'm picking up a lot of heat and I feel a little uncomfortable? Is that the camp you're in? Uh, like, if you don't watch it live, game over? No, I'll be 
kind to people that I know who don't want to know. <laughs> okay. Um, but I don't think it's particularly problematic to be tweeting out, you know, images that spoil it the next day if you're having fun with it, because it's so rare in our society and culture now that there's anything that's like this that we're all watching on the same night together. So right. I think we should honor that and either try and watch it on that night or at least the next day. Yeah. Or don't participate or don't expect to participate in like in the way that you these people sometimes expect that there's no spoilers or whatever. I see. You're right. Or do what I did because I watched it. I had to wait a day because my super selfish 15 year old nephew had to go to bed. <laughs> uh, so I stayed off social media the next day because I was like, I know those queers and they are posting about this and I don't want to know. Yeah. Just so, yeah. Yeah. There's self-care that you can do if you want to, uh, if you want to really avoid it, just especially yeah, don't go on Twitter, don't go on Instagram. Yeah. I don't go on TikTok, but I'm assuming there was some stuff on TikTok about it. Who's to say? Yeah. Go down into your basement, turn off all the lights. That's the only place you can go. If you even leave your house, uh, you know, fair game, you may have it spoiled. No, on Monday I left my house and there were just people in the store screaming <laughs> exactly right. what happened at the end. <laughs> oh my God. Because we came together. The White Lotus brought us together. So it's true. in the stores, yeah, we we're just people just yelling about Tanya. <laughs> That's right. Justice for Tanya. I do. And I, well, oh, I almost wanted to say, you know what? By the time this episode is out, if you haven't watched the White Lotus season two finale, spoiler alert, because I they had to show her in the water for that long because you're like spin off season three season three and only after showing her for like 60 seconds do you accept she's dead yeah no they, they they it took me a minute to accept that she's dead i'm not sure if i'm i still accept that she's dead i know she is dead are you sure i was okay with it like i yeah. feel like her arc sort of ran its course and i'm not really sure what was left to do with her i agree other than just marvel at her yeah, of all the like m like main characters to die, I'm kind of happy it was her. Maybe I mean, yeah, Cameron too would have been fine, but everyone else I was I was hoping they'd live. <laughs> sure, that's right, live and potentially make out with me. But Tanya too, it's so funny to me because the idea that you would defeat every adversary and then essentially die at the hands of your chunky shoe is so that's life, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah, especially when there's like stairs right there is I just she kind of yeah she could have gone about it yeah. 20 different ways and she didn't so, so that's that's why uh, you die just no street smarts or life skills in any way none at all no she was prey well except when she, she when she ran for the, the the gun i do feel like that was a yeah no that was good yeah admirable on her part and i was impressed by her for maybe the only time this season when she I know when she sort of and shooting like basically like astral projected out of her like I don't even think she looked up while she was shooting which was fascinating yeah sometimes you just got to look away and Peter that's the perfect segue because sometimes you can stare right at what's in front of you like you know like you look up into the sky but sometimes the sun is too bright you get the sense that there's danger afoot and you have to sort of metaphorically close your eyes while uh other people take control and that's queerness isn't it <laughs> yeah more or less yeah <laughs> uh it certainly was in the you know 70s and 80s and um you know forces were afoot uh things were happening that were making us queer that we didn't know about anyway essentially peter that's why you're here not just to recap white lotus season two 
But to point the finger of blame once and for all, Peter, I got nervous because I'm about to say your name. Peter Kinnett. Yeah, no, uh, that's great. <laughs> thank you. Who and or what made you queer? Um, so I thought about this a lot um, and I tried to come up with something that might be not cliched, but I think it's undeniable what made me queer. So I have to just go with something that is unfortunately, I think I'm sure people have said versions of this already on this show. Um, but it's a series of events between December 1989 and April 1990. So over the course of which I turned six years old, okay. that sort of culminated in, in making me extremely queer. I think culminated on one specific night. Um, basically, these are like for people my age, these are three things that made a lot of people queer. Oh my God. But basically, short story, December 1989, I see The Little Mermaid in movie theater. I see it multiple times in more movie theaters over January, over February. Then on a fateful March evening in 1990, <laughs> I go downstairs and I vividly remember this. My mother is watching something on television and it's the Oscars. And I didn't know what this was, but during, and I sat and watched the entire ceremony with her. She let me stay up. Wow. They had, the thing that got me was they played the Little Mermaid songs live. And then the Little Mermaid songs won an Oscar. And I was just like, what is this thing? And why is the Little Mermaid winning these trophies? I was just sort of really into it. Were there live performances for that Oscars? Yes, live performances of, I believe, Under the Sea and Kiss the Girls, as well as um, Alan Menken's score. They used to do those things where they like dance to the scores. Oh, yeah. Wow, so, that's a relic. They do not do that anymore. No, they do not. I wish they did. But mm -hmm. um, And then Under the Sea won. But, uh, so I know that I watched that whole ceremony, and I know that it sort of kick-started um, sort of a lifelong interest in the Oscars or whatever. And I, the only things I really remember about it was seeing the Little Mermaid thing. But I looked back at what that ceremony entailed and like the presenters were Glenn Close, Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen. <laughs> this is the first time I saw any of these women. The Trinity. Uh, it, Angel and Angelica Houston, Jodie Foster, Isabel <sighs> Bear, Julia Roberts. And here's the kicker. Michelle Pfeiffer introduced a performance of Over the Rainbow by Diana Ross. No. I must have seen this when I was six and, and two months old. And there is no way that that night did not culminate in making me queer if I hadn't already kind of been queer before because of Little Mermaid. So it's like the Little Mermaid was Holy sort of like the hell. gateway drug. The Oscars were like the full drug. Yeah. That, oh my, I mean, that conglomerate of women, that that's militant in its queer aggression. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Holy hell. Um, Were you just standing? I don't even picture you sitting. You're just like clutching the door frame, sobbing. I, I mean, like, I, I wish I could remember the Over the Rainbow part, but I do remember when they played the Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl song and they had like a whole, you can see it on YouTube, it's like that whole sea set up there and, and um, Jeffrey, Jeffrey something, Holder, I think, was the performer who sang the songs. Mm -hmm. And I remember just sort of like standing up and like looking at the TV screen, just being like, what is happening? And this is <laughs> the most amazing thing. And then um, when they sort of, I don't know, the pageantry of them, these two men, one of whom was queer, I didn't know that at the time, but uh, Howard Ashman, who wrote those songs, mm -hmm. go and accept that award. And, and, and I don't know, there was just something about it that obviously really stuck with me because I do vividly remember points of it. And from that point forward, Every year, I demand my mother hosted an Oscar party, with, like my aunts and cousins, and we do from a, age seven onward. Age seven onwards. The following year, we had oh a party, God. and this is where it starts to get like. Anyway, we had a party. It was the year that Dances with Wolves won, and we did like a pool. And I had picked Julia Roberts, who had become a little bit obsessed with 
over the course of that year yeah. to win Best Actress for Pretty Woman. And when she lost, another vivid memory, I cried. Like, not even like cried like I was sad, just cried that I was mad at my mother because she had told me <laughs> that Julia Roberts was going to win and Kathy Bates won for Misery. And I remember just being just so angry. The tears were of anger. Oh, um, my God. When I guess I realized that you can't always get what you want that night. But yeah. It's, which is so unfair. And like Kathy Bates, and in the full honor, like what a queer soldier. But also, were you allowed to see Pretty Woman at age seven? No, so I did not see Pretty Woman, but I had seen Steel Magnolias. Uh, okay. And yeah, but it's really strange because it start, this also started a tradition where we had a, I grew up in a small town, Trenton, Ontario. Oh, yeah. It had one movie theater, two screens. Um, now I think it has three screens. Uh, <laughs> it gets better. But they would take me, my mother would take me to see as many of the Best Picture nominees as we could. And my whole thing, because another thing I was obsessed with at the time was Entertainment Weekly. So I would grade things on a scale like them, like A, B, C, whatever. Oh, nice. And she, she took me to see Dances with Wolves when I was seven years old. And I Whoa. just remember coming out and she was like, what do you, what do you give it? Like A, B. And I just said, R. <laughs> I just remember being like, don't ever take me to something like that. And the yeah. next year was Silence of the Lambs. And she was like, no, no, you're going to sit this one out. And you called Child Protective Services on your own family. Yeah. Um, yeah. All I remember from that, I wasn't allowed to watch that, but I do remember somehow it filtered into my psyche. And when they're like, we have to get in the sleep, it wasn't a sleeping bag, but like in the bed together to stay warm naked. Isn't that Dancing with Wolves? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think I ever seen it again since but i'm pretty <laughs> sure. sure that that because it's mary mcdonald right it's sure is the love interest yeah um and kevin costner kevin costner who yeah won an oscar for directing it which is wild weird Over weird martin call. scorsese for good fellas come yeah. on get out of here okay so that so r get get straight out of town peter does not care but julia roberts was and she had i mean talk about ariel-esque qualities yeah, I mean, there was something about her, also Winona Ryder, there was a lot of actresses around that time that did have this, like, like it, tomboy isn't the right word, but there was just a quality to them that, that they stood out from everyone. I mean, with Winona, tomboy might have been the right word for a period there, but yeah. there was, like, a little bit of masculinity to how beautiful they are. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that that really did something for me. And I, like, would, like, have posters of both of them in my rooms, and I, I sort of think of them as my first beards, because yes. even when I came out, like, at, as a teenager, my mother, the first thing she said was, what about Winona Ryder? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Mom, like... <laughs> Come, honestly. Yeah, they both had, well, certainly, I think, in Ju Mystic Pizza, Julia Roberts, like, she was always a tough girl. Yeah, yeah, in Pretty Woman, too. Like, she, yeah. she had an edge to her and knew how to sort of take care of herself in a way that Anyway, yeah. I mean, I guess not literally in Pretty Woman, but... Right. Which Ariel did not, because Ariel was kind of like, tell me where to go. Yeah, Ariel definitely was not an example of that at all. I don't know. All I have to say is that a mishmash of culture between 1989 and 1991, actresses, Oscars, Little Mermaid... I love it. Entertainment Weekly came together and made me, like, superbly queer, yeah. I mean, there's so much... It's such a rich 90s vein, I can, like... I have like a visceral reaction to all of it. Do you think that The Little Mermaid, the narrative of Disney's The Little Mermaid is the queerest animated classic? I would say so, absolutely. However, I feel like I'm biased because it's also the one I know the best, but like okay. even to this day, I will occasionally put part of your world <laughs> in sort of my um, playlist or whatever. And those lyrics are extremely 
I'm queer and I need to oh my get God. here. And like, and, and, and it's also obviously written by an actual queer man. And there's just like so many allegories in there and like queer coded characters, Ursula, obviously, who's literally, you know, at least aesthetically based on the divine, divine. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And who also just gives this sort of butch queen energy and <laughs> yeah, I, we could talk about that forever, but there's a lot of things that are gay about the little mermaid, Eric. Oh my God. He's. I mean, I don't know what he's just hot. I it was it was definitely a crush. He, he's just hot. I mean, listen, if you want to, and maybe this speaks to in to me different ways, but I was more of a Triton stand to be honest. I mean, I think I'd be more of a Triton stand now, right? <laughs> um, I know at the time, yeah. Eric had the Twinkie aristocracy vibe. I mean, yeah, I was six, but like definitely, um, <laughs> you had pedestrian tastes. Yeah, but the the, the daddy look of Triton is definitely. Uh, I haven't thought about that in a while, but yeah, I guess we'll see soon because they're making it into That's right. this new movie. Yeah, We'll see. I know enough showing me who's going to be Ariel, who's going to be Daddy Triton. Javier Bardem. Oh my God. Could you imagine? I mean, I think soon we won't have to imagine. We could just... <laughs> That's right. It will be real. Yeah. I mean, 100%, certainly not something I realized at the time, but that whole story of like... I mean, I was more Aladdin really rung my bell, but... And now we know what we know about Howard Ashman and things like that, but what a coming out story. What a thing that would dog whistle to a kid who was starting to realize like, I'm a little different and I'm not sure why. Uh, and I cry at the Oscars. What's happening? Yeah. And like, and I sing these songs, like I knew all the lyrics, to all those songs and they oh. are, you know, and then I, 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 I feel very grateful to have come of age, to come of like come of age, but to, to be six or seven um, yeah. at that time, because I feel like there was a lot going on in the late 80s and early 90s that was incredible. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so and because I'm also picturing again, you clutching the doorframe, sobbing or whatever you were doing. And do you think your mom, have you ever talked about that moment? Did she clock that moment and be like, whoa, my son is really <laughs> emotionally moved by this? Uh, I mean, I think she just knew that I was really emotional in general. Um, uh -huh. You're talking about the when Kathy Bates won? Or, uh, or I, it sounded like you were quite upset, but also like you just being like seeing the Oscars for the first time in the way it sucked you in. Did she clock this? I, I think she I think she clocked it, but in like a pretty I mean, my mother was uh, had me very young. Um, so she was only at the time this is 1990. I don't know. 26. OK. Wow. And um, she was very exceptional in that, she, you know, whatever I took interest in, she went full out. Like she saw that she she clocked it, but what she did as a result of clocking, it was like, all right, well, from now on, we're going to make this like a tradition every year where like, this is really sad or it's cute on her part, but on the morning, <laughs> on the the day before the Oscars, like, the, or before the nominations or something, I didn't have to go to school because <gasps> I was quote, too excited. Oh my God. So <laughs> she let me stay home. That... That's amazing. What did you like? Did she call in sick or was she like, it's the Oscars, get used to it. Peter doesn't go to school. I think she'd say that I was sick because the Oscars used to be on Mondays. Okay. So it was that's what it was. So on those Mondays of the Oscars, I didn't have to go. And she ran a daycare center uh -huh. um, on the second floor of our house. So I just go up there all day. Oh, my God. And probably just like tell all these other six year olds <laughs> who like did not give a shit. Truly. How excited I was to see if, you know, Jodie Foster finally won her Oscar or her second Oscar, I guess, for whatever. I just, I'm sure that I was very annoying to those other children. Trying to start like a betting pool and they're like, we just want to play with the blocks, Peter. And they, I mean, then they had to give me space because my mother was their sort of 
teacher. So oh, yeah. yeah, you could you could lord over them. And are you still a super diehard Oscars fan? Um, yes. I mean, it's definitely like dwindled to a degree. I'm, I'm a lot more jaded and cynical about them. But like, you're never going to catch me not getting up at whatever 8 a.m. the morning of the nominations. Oh, for the announcements. Oh, and then I you can't imagine ever not watching them. Um, yeah, although last year's was like pretty hard, I feel for anybody who was a fan to like, we just come off of like a really weird time with the Oscars, the, the 2021s yeah. in the train station, and then they kind of come back, but they come back in this kind of dark way where, you know, unfortunate things happen. Yeah. So I'm really hoping this year will be sort of this return to form, both for them and for my uh, sort of love for them. Who's your dream Oscar host? Um, or who's been like a greatest from the past? I mean, Billy Crystal has a thing in my heart because it was like, he was sort of the OG for me and that yeah. rotation of him and Whoopi, I think was just kind of like incredible. I think they've struggled in the past 10 or 15 years to figure someone out. And most times it doesn't work out. I did think Hugh Jackman was incredible. There's the, he does this, if you can watch the, you can watch the whole ceremony online, which I have a couple <laughs> times, but you can watch the opening <laughs> sequence where he does these dance numbers. Um, like the, I guess this was, there was a recession at the time. So that was sort of the entry point that they didn't have enough budget to do <laughs> these big scale things. So he's using like boxes and whatever. And he does a, a song about the reader, uh, the film oh, that nice. the one that is yeah. really, really good. I, I really recommend you look uh, it up. Okay. I got to watch it. Cause I was like you. So early on, one of my like big mom son bonding experiences was television. And we would watch our big shows were murder. She, like talk about a gay kid murder. She wrote in Remington steel. If you wow. remember that, I which do. Is, Pierce Brosnan and Stephanie Zimbalist Jr. And we would also watch like the Oscars and that stuff together. So that was a heyday for me. I will be honest with you and please don't be angry. No, I don't think I've watched the Oscars in, I want to conservatively say 15 years. I, well, I mean, I'm not offended. I do think that's like, <laughs> I do think you're missing out on something. P Peter has left the Zoom call. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm someone who, I don't force the Oscars on anyone. I don't. I'm actually a proponent of thinking that, you know, the fact that their ratings are dwindling, so they're doing all these things to make them bigger and better and appeal to, don't do that. Mm. Just appeal to the people like me, who there's like yeah. probably like a million of us, which is not like the ratings you want. Make the ceremony seven hours long, you know, <laughs> yeah. do all this pageantry that we all want to see. And like, who cares about, you know, whatever, who Joe America thinks about the Oscars, because yeah. he's never going to watch them. Doesn't matter what you do. He's never going to do it. You're right. And then do a 45 second Instagram reel for everyone else. The seven. So it's seven hour show for Peter and Peter's <clears throat> crew. And then 90 seconds. Yeah, sure. Or like, honestly, split it up over three nights. Oh, my God. So at, like and have like, like make it like Super Bowl weekend. And like in the middle, there can be like a <laughs> musical performance on Saturday night. And then like the main big ones are on Sunday night. And that's when, you know, maybe people like you could tune in. Um, yeah, I, I think the options are endless for them to really go all out and please the people who they should be trying to please, Yeah, which are uh, obviously we're a minority. You would have to take the week off work, though. Uh, I think I could pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> you made me queer. You made me queer. We'll be right back. And now back to more You Made Me Queer. Let's go to Entertainment Weekly because if you are above, uh, under a certain age, you don't know what that is. So first of all, it's a magazine. Is that correct? It, it, uh, I guess it still is a magazine, but it's 
no longer they don't print it anymore but yes it was a magazine and they did a really special oscar issue yeah they would do yeah. a special oscars issue that's why i initially bought it it was at the grocery store and i was like i want that subscribed i subscribed from the age of six to like i don't know 21. oh my god um, every single week and i would get very excited when the specialists were like fall preview a best of the year uh the oscars issue like i would be very excited to run home and and know that was going to be in the box but yeah I really mourn that that's not like a thing anymore for, I don't know, little gay kids to- I know. <laughs> and they have the internet, it's fine. I, I just like, yeah. I'm just nostalgic for my own situation, I guess. But I, I do think there's just something very precious about that idea. I still get some magazines delivered to my house just cause I just, I just like things coming in the mail. I know, what a nice surprise. You never know quite which day it's gonna come and then it would be there and they would have oh yeah like the big there were i feel like things you could cut out and put on your wall or like glue into your notebook yeah yeah like what a like i my room was just covered in that like yeah cutouts from entertainment weekly rolling stone whatever but what do the kids cut out now like they print stuff off the internet no and they, they don't need a physical anything no it's sad it's all ipads and nfts whatever yeah i guess that's that's what they hang on the walls <laughs> that's right just <laughs> nailing ipads around the room yeah. oh boy yeah um so entertainment weekly when it was not the oscars only issue was it just sort of like celebrity gossip like people no no it was definitely um and i remember sort of defending it when people would say just that at the time it was <laughs> like it, it definitely was higher end it had reviews there was the, sort of the sec the last third was reviews mm -hmm. and they had features in the middle um like a cover story and three or four others and um i thought that the film and television criticism i mean again i was eight ten eleven but was really exceptional and they also i remember they had an issue maybe it was towards the end of the 90s but like maybe 96 97 and it just said the gay 90s and it had all this is the cover and it had all these little squares around it and it was like smithers and Nancy, uh, Nancy Sandra Bernard from Roseanne and yeah. Ellen and uh, Ross's ex-wife on Friends. And the whole thing was about how like gay was in now. And I remember that being one of the, genuinely one of the first times where I was just like, okay. Like, oh my is, God. This is gonna be okay, yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Like the, one of the most important things in your world, that magazine, like to get the, the approval from Entertainment Weekly? Yeah, and to learn that like, um, like one of my favorite writers at that time, Mark Harris, who is now, He'd married to Tony Kushner and is uh, oh. writes books all the times. And anyway, I didn't know that at the time. Maybe he was he probably wasn't even with Tony. Anyway, all that doesn't matter. But <laughs> when I found out that he himself was gay, it was just like when you're growing up in a really small town in Canada yeah. in 1995, the access you have is incredibly limited. And and also whatever access I did have to things just felt negative. So yeah. Entertainment Weekly, I think, was definitely this sort of like not like every issue was gay but like the one or two a year that mentioned gay things in a positive manner was uh really yeah i think really important for me just like staying together and, and hopeful about whatever was coming i mean here here i love that i have nothing to top that because i'm also stuck in this thought did you ever sing part of your world while reading entertainment weekly or while watching the oscars about hollywood <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I did all three multiple times, but I don't have any. <laughs> Maybe I blocked them out because that was just like really confirming right. uh, the inevitable. But um, like, did you want to be, was that a dream for you to sort of go there to be in showbiz and, you know, in, in a nice way that you've made that happen? Yeah, it was my dream. I would make my own. My, I get my little brother who's two years younger to me mm. to film me 
doing like the box office numbers and what I was predicting the Oscars and it was called Peter's Entertainment and it was filmed <laughs> so poorly because my brother was like five but we still have those videos there's no excuse so I, it was kind of what I wanted to do and then I did kind of do it at least yeah. you know to a degree so that was like pretty 100 percent pretty cool I 10 years ago this year I went to the Oscars <gasps> you did I sat in like literally the nosebleeds the very very back seat um I used to work for this online magazine called IndieWire yeah and they had a deal where every year two staff members could get tickets so I waited my turn and I got my turn and you seat. knifed every other staff member <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were all dead so I, I, <laughs> they were definitely the second that initiative was was announced <laughs> I definitely right, just bodies put, put them all on that boat and, uh, <laughs> oh my god you I strap was, them all in the plastic Quentin, chunky yeah. shoes yeah and yeah. then you're like climb off so how did you get picked was there like a campaign or a lottery no i mean there was only i think there was only like six senior staff members so it just kind of was my turn pretty quickly um and yeah it was pretty pretty unbelievable to be like wow yeah oh my god and that is actually the only time i didn't really watch the oscars because I, they were like I, I've gotten tips from people. They're like, go to the lobby because uh, there's all these mezzanines and floors, but the bar lobby on the first floor is where most of the celebrities spend most of the show. Like they don't really watch it. Yeah. So I just like stood down there and like, it was the first time that like, uh, that I hadn't, I had no idea who'd won some things because they didn't have TVs or, out there or anything. You just didn't know. Interesting. It was fascinating. Where was there, not to get too like star fucky, but w was there a celebrity you saw where you were like, oh my God. Um, yes, only because, so I don't know how to drive. Um, oh, interesting. So at the time, I had this little motel room that was quite close to the Oscars, but not particularly nice. And I had my little ticket and I was wearing my tuxedo. Mm -hmm. And I go to like the gate where they supposed to start let you in. And I just showed my ticket and the guy's like, you need to be in a car. I'm like, I don't know how to drive. <laughs> you can't just walk in. And then he's like, you will find a taxi. And I'm like, no, can you just and so he let me so I walked down this like long corridor. And then got to the where you enter the red carpet and it's like security like you're going through an airport and then you get split off into two red carpets the like a-list red carpet and the nobody red carpet <laughs> and obviously i was on the nobody but there's a brief period before you go security where everyone is together and when i arrived it was adele and anne hathaway were right beside me like ready ready to go through security and that's when i like i genuinely was like i don't know if i can do this like oh I don't my know, god i don't know if i can do this but um those were the main sort of sightings but at the bar I would have drink next to Melissa McCarthy. I didn't talk to anybody because I wanted to just like. Oh, be... come on. Another no. uh, Little Mermaid connection. She'll be Ursula. I know. I didn't know that at the time, but sure. um, I, I think I just felt like I wanted to respect that this was like yeah. they were really there and this was their night. I didn't want to be that like weird. You made the right choice. Yeah. So I gawked them and stared at them and maybe made them feel uncomfortable that way, but I didn't talk to them. Yeah, that's even weirder. They're like, just yeah. say something. I'm still hung up on you have to drive a car into the Oscars. At least you did in 2013. I think there's like a whole process where they check the cars and that's how I don't really know exactly. Okay. But it is extremely unusual if you're in LA and you're going to the Oscars. To not you don't have, you can't drive or you don't have access to a car it's like i suspect i was the only one truly like julia roberts is like hoofing it down sunset like haikuner dress up if only like i would love that more people just walked into the oscars <laughs> could you imagine that's it i think from this year next year onward it's like a go green kind of low carbon emissions thing. Everyone has to walk into the Oscars. Yeah. And then the red carpet is in a car. Yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> they just drive by. You get a photo real fast. Let's pitch it. 
Oh my god! It, it, it makes sense on so many different levels, and then also <laughs> does it make sense on so many others? But yeah, and then when they drive into the building, it makes less sense. But um, okay, so I think Entertainment Weekly we've mined Little Mermaid. We could mine until we die. What if I skipped over for you? Was there a third thing? All those women? Oscars. Those are the three. Oscars. That's now of. Oh my god! Did you know who all those women were at the time? Um, like when I was like five or six. Yeah, like you, the women you've said were on stage, like, uh, oh, was it Julia I, Roberts intro Diana Ross? Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer Michelle intro Pfeiffer. Diana Ross. I have it written down here. And then the among the presenters were uh, Julia Roberts, Glenn Close, mm, sorry, yeah. Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, Isabel Hubert, who must have been quite young. Oh my God. Um, Angelica Houston and Jodie Foster. <sighs> oh and I'm sure I had God. no idea who any of them were, but I think this is. That I, I never didn't know who they were again <laughs> from I mean, that point forward. Yeah, you did not make that mistake again. Oh my God, what a what a group! What a, a bunch of strong shoulders. Yeah, that's a yeah lovely way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a good décolletage to sink your teeth into. Woof. Okay, well, uh, I'm I'm pretty satisfied. This is your chance, though. Anything else you want to blame? Past? I mean, there's no way you could have gotten through those three incidents. No, I, I didn't. I mean, like the the answer I was gonna give if I wanted to try and just be like kind of cool and different was <laughs> uh, Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor. Like that uh, was like so a, head that, mask. And like the lyrics of some of those songs, even though I'm sure they weren't, I was just reading them a certain way. That so let's just put it this way: like if okay. everything I've talked about so far on this episode made me gay, I do think that Nine Inch Nails which I accidentally got in like a Columbia house thing. Like I got the downward spiral and I listened to closer and I was like 10 or 11. I was just like, what is this? This makes me feel something I've never felt before. I think if that all made me gay, Nine Inch Nails made me queer. And like, if, if, if that makes any sense. It does. I love that. We don't need to explain it. If you don't no. get it, uh, turn this podcast off. It's not for you. And now Trent, all this, you know, it's the thing that blows my mind. Trent Reznor, two-time Oscar winner now. What? And sort of part of the uh, sort of Hollywood establishment in the best possible way. And I, I he's, yeah, he's really matured into an incredible uh, elder statesman of, of music and movies. <laughs> <laughs> elder statesman. Uh, Oscars for what? Uh, he won the first with his right, like music partner Atticus Ross for the score to The Social Network. Amazing. And he won the second for the score to... Um, it's the Pixar movie that came out during the pandemic. The Bridges of Madison County. Oh God, well, I can't remember, but Tina Fey is one of the voices. It's like, the fact that I don't know this is making me feel like a horrible person. I'm embarrassed for you. It's not Coco. I'm so far behind. No, it's, uh, I'm gonna look it up, sorry. Yeah. Um, Peter just opened a copy of Entertainment Weekly to find the answer yeah, yeah, for this. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely was going through all the Entertainment Weekly, trying to figure <laughs> That's it out. That's right. It is for, oh, Soul. Soul. Okay. And Trent Reznor wrote the music? He did with uh, Atticus Ross and Jean Baptiste. I really like that for them. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Uh, screw y'all. You helped make Peter queer. So that is a, a delicious little assortment of things. Um, certainly. And, you know, R.I.P. Howard Ashman. Like, what a beautiful. I know we're sort of like lightly grazing over that, but also such a poignant thing to realize later the way that spoke to you and the way, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I finally, I, I watched that documentary, I think it was just called Howard, just knowing that this, because AIDS is something that, you know, I think any gay man who sort of came of age in the 90s, AIDS was a very, um, not interesting, is too light of a word, but it like became a part of us in a, in a different way than it did for people who lived through it. Yeah. Um, and then to realize later on that when I was a kid, this man 
this incredible, brilliant man was literally dying of AIDS while he was writing all these songs that would be the soundtrack of my childhood. It's just, yeah, it was it was pretty remarkable to sort of end up knowing that whole story in the context that that gave over everything. It's super moving and as well, because yeah, certainly Disney comes up a lot on this show. But those characters and those songs and those that big emotion in the way that it's it captures the queer experience in such a weird, specific way, uh, like what a special legacy to give queer people. Like, yeah, what am I what am I going to leave this show? Whoops. I mean, we can only dream to leave a tenth of what Howard Hashman left. And that's OK. 100 percent. And that's OK. You certainly made an impact on Adele and Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yes, they've, they've never been the same That's since right. that moment they saw the straggly guy come and walk into the Oscars and <laughs> they turned to each other. This is why they're friends, probably. They turned to each other. They're like, who's that guy? And did he just walk here? I'm, I'm their sure, origin story. <laughs> I'm sure at least one person saw you walk in and still tells that story. <laughs> Maybe. Someone walked into the Oscars. What a plebe. Uh, Peter, beautiful work. Uh, before I let you go, and I'm mad because I just want to talk about Little Mermaid. Would you like to play a game? Uh, absolutely. Yes. I okay, great. generally love games. Oh, thank God. Well, let's, sometimes we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, so this game was called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queerer, Queerist. Okay. I'm going to give you three things. Your job is to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay. Any questions? <clears throat> uh, least to most and why. Okay. I can do it. Yeah. Perfect summary. Okay. Thing number one, the name Tippy. Okay. I can only think of one Tippy Hendren from the birds. Maybe there are others. What a name. Yeah. Okay. Thing number two, nested peppers. You know, sometimes you cut open a green or a red pepper and there's like a weird pepper growing inside of it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. Nest, yeah. That. That's, That's what's phenomenon. called. Nested peppers. I didn't know that. I. You know what? I wrote that down and I was like, I don't know, channeling Emily Dickinson or something, but it felt like a good thing to call it. A nice poetic name. Nested peppers. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Peter. Thing number three, uh, I think you'll know this reference. Chris Tucker as Ruby Rod in The Fifth Element. Yes. So I'm thinking specifically those outfits. Talk about decolletage. Man, everything is like cut down, like le leopard print, or like there's one scene where he's uh, wearing like all roses. I actually don't know their character's pronouns, but a lot of like tight and shouldery numbers and phallic hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I remember that movie pretty, pretty clearly. That movie um, was the height of my <clears throat> Bruce Willis crush. Where I was just like, any anytime you want, you call me Bruce Willis. I was like 11 or 12. Anyway, this isn't about me. So the three things, one more time, are the name Tippy, Nested Peppers, Chris Tucker's Ruby Rod in the Fifth Element, least to most queer, and why? Oh, okay. This is really hard. Mm. I guess Nested Peppers are the least queer. <gasps> okay. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I just, but I feel like I have reasons why the other two are queer. So it's almost like by default, it's at least queer. I'll accept that. Uh, it's a queer thing to be a nested pepper. Um, <laughs> definitely. So I'm not saying it's not queer, but I, I do think it's at least queer for reasons that I can't articulate. I think it might also be my new drag name now that I hear you say it. Well, if you do that, then it'll just sort of add some queerness to I'll it. I'll make it queer. Re revisit this question. Yeah. You're right. But for, okay, for the time being, by default, it's least queer. Okay, what's next? Um, oh, this is really hard. Yes. 
I think Tippy. Okay, why? Oh, I don't know. It's really, I think it's very, very close. I'm going to go with Tippy. Mm. I mean, there's only one of them, as you noted, that I can think of. <laughs> like maybe Tipper Gore, they called her Tippy, but I don't oh, think so. Oh, maybe. That's a technicality. Uh, but Tippy Hendren is the one who is, how iconic is it that she's Melanie Griffith's mother and Dakota Johnson's grandmother? Oh my God. Uh, that she was, you know, I forget exactly what happened to her, but Alfred Hitchcock was really horrible to her, right? And, and he, Yeah, he was pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily queer, though. Also, you're not, it's just, this is just the name Tippy. So it's not like I'm just associating the Hendren of it all. <laughs> the, the Hendren of it all. It's just the name Tippy, I think, is pretty queer. Yes, that's right. The con I understand there's sort of implicit connotation in Tippy, but if you can isolate it, for its I don't phonetic properties. It ends in an I, I think. There's a double P, which, you know, I'm turned on. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, you know what? Yeah, it's, just, it's such a queer word. I know. I'm gonna move Chris Tucker to second. Because Chris Tucker- This has never happened. You're switching as we go? Yeah. Yes. Just the word and name Tippy. I love it. Okay, so let's go back to Chris Tucker's Ruby Rod. I mean, extremely queer as a character, I think was a queer, sort of an iconically queer thing for a lot of people to experience with that movie because it was sort of a lot of straight men or people or just men in general went to see that movie i saw it with my brother i think i was probably like 14. Mm. um to have that come at you in a movie where you don't expect it but then also chris tucker himself is not queer and ended up kind of being very straight with like those rush hour movies right kind of but yeah, there was always such a queerness to him anyway although isn't there one rush hour where he's like in a tub with jackie chan or that's owen wilson and jackie chan yeah what's that movie called anyway i've uh, never seen any of the rush hour so i don't even know but okay. i just assume given sort of the buddy action comedy of it all that they were pretty straight yeah i would imagine so he, he's a chris tucker as ruby in the fifth element very queer mm -hmm. definitely sort of a queer highlight of 1997 or something wow. probably probably well done uh for a lot of people but not quite as queer as the word slash name tippy which just kind of stands alone and, and, and it's so singular and isn't being queer such a singular thing to be I mean, I have, I think that answer is perfect. Also, every time I say it, it sounds like the verbal equivalent of like castanets on my fingers or something. It just sounds very like it's effervescent. Yeah. It's pretty queer. But now I do feel bad about nested peppers and I feel like I need to go buy some and <laughs> make them for dinner tonight and just like give them a chance and really experience how queer they might be. Cook them into the queerest thing you can cook. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Peter, let's look at your uh, notes again, because I know a rating system is very important to you. So I just, I want to check this, you know, A, B, C or R, as it were. Uh, I appreciate this very much. You know, I, there's a, an academic quality to the work I do. So least queer, nested peppers, medium queer, also known as queerer, Chris, no, Quistecker's Ruby Rod, yeah, and then queerest, Tippy. Yep. So just double checking. Congratulations, Peter, 100%. You win uh, the equivalent of an Oscar. Your answers are all correct. Oh, so there was a right and wrong to this? There is now. Okay, great. I'm, I'm really excited. You're the guest. Whatever you say goes. Okay, yeah. And good news, because this means that you are, in fact, a queer person. Thank you. I'm yeah. really, yeah. I was confused <laughs> about it up until now, but now I really feel like it's Tippy that did it. It's Tippy. Tippy made it official. It started back then, but it's, <laughs> it's now been made official with Tippy. A hundred percent. Listen to how 
freaking faggy that sounds. I love it. Tippy. Uh, well, thank you, Peter. Listen, this has been an absolute joy. I feel closer to the Hollywood elite just by speaking to you and <laughs> through the stories you've told. <laughs> thank you. And, uh, and before I let you go, anything you want to plug? Um... Yeah, I have a, a new little show on CBC called Here and Queer, where I sort of interview LGBTQ folks uh, working in arts and culture. You can find it, uh, I guess, just by like Googling Here and Queer CBC. We're still sort of figuring it out, but we've shot quite a few of them and there's going to be a bunch more in early 2023. I love it. They're so great. Also, congrats. You just got a set glow up, I saw. Yeah, we did. Um, oh, it. and also, I, I, if you're in Toronto, I host a monthly event called Queer Cinema Club at Paradise uh theater in Toronto, uh, you can look us up on Instagram, queer.cinema.club, and uh, you can see what our next screening is. Which I hope would be Little Mermaid, but I'm sure there's no way you could get the rights for that. Uh, actually, I have tried before uh, at a little thing, and, and uh, I can't say that I can't say that we screened it illegally, ultimately, but <laughs> we may have screened it illegally, ultimately. Like Disney, they, the Paradise told me this when I started programming this uh, night, they're like, Disney's not easy to work with don't oh. don't get disney but now disney owns so much I so know. it's really hard it's like if it's searchlight it's disney if it's fox it's disney if it's whatever it's just it's too much they own everything you should do a <clears throat> shot for shot get your brother to hold the camera and do a shot for shot remake of little mermaid that you can screen yeah that's actually i'm gonna start we'll do this christmas i think yeah yeah on the here and queer set <laughs> exactly we'll just get some water <laughs> just flood it fish. that's right yeah. everyone in jennifer coolidge's heels um amazing thank you so much peter this was an absolute joy and i want to thank you because i was very queer when this conversation started and talking to you peter connect has made me queerer than ever well i'm really honored that i was capable of doing that so thanks so much for having <laughs> me on trevor no it was, it's been a pleasure my pleasure thank you so much you take care okay bye bye Okay, and that is our show, and that is our season. Season three is wrapped. You might be asking, what's next? So, there's going to be a little hiatus from the show in between seasons, during which time I'm finishing a book that I'm writing. Uh, people have been asking me, as I work on You Made Me Queer, what made you queer? And I would say, mind your business. And then I thought, wait a minute, that maybe is a story that I want to tell. So I'm telling it. That book is in the works. So I'm going to be finishing that draft before I come back to the podcast. And uh, I will let you know. So if you want to be notified when the podcast comes back, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and follow it on social media. We're on all platforms with the handle at You Made Me Queer. And that's it. So, Sean Ben Beaton for the last time of the season. Cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our editor is Sean Ben Beaton. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of our music, check out lavenderbrewsters.bandcamp.com slash free trial. Forget the free trial. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday when season four starts. So just hold your horses. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs>